Isn't it easy to be part of the crowd, just to kind of blend in and cheer and look and watch? But then when the time comes to stop being part of the crowd and step out, things can change. We're in a series called What Does God Want? And any honest person would say, yes, I've asked that question, what does God want? People have asked that question for thousands of years in one way or another. And we're looking at a section of teaching in the New Testament book of Matthew, beginning in chapter 5 and going through chapter 5, 6, and 7, where large crowds were starting to travel with Jesus. And they were applauding Jesus when he performed a miracle. And when he taught something really good and encouraging, they were just, yeah, Jesus, great Jesus. Tell us more about heaven. That's awesome. Tell us how great you are, how great we are. And, and they just kept traveling with Jesus. And one day... It says this in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. It says, He saw crowds gathering, and he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach. So here's this large crowd of people around Jesus. He's starting his ministry. He's starting to ramp it up a little bit. And he's got to be thinking, are these people really with me, or are they just watching? Are they just part of the crowd that's cheering me on, or do they really want to participate in what I'm doing? So Jesus begins this series of little messages of thoughts that kind of up the ante a little bit. It kind of brings the commitment to a whole new level. And he starts to talk about things that are going to get people out of the crowd and get them into the wheelbarrow. He starts to talk about things that's, that's going to turn up the knob on their commitment level. And what follows, what we've been going through, and you can read these three chapters in like 10 minutes, but it's Jesus telling us how we can get out of the crowd and really make a difference in life and thus answer the question of what God wants for us. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles, going up the aisles right now. If you don't have one, please take one. It's yours to keep. We give these out every week at LifePoint. We put the scriptures on the screen. We put the page number on there so you can turn and read with us. And take that book home and apply it to your life because we believe it's the words of God. Well, there's a doctor in Colorado that's come up with this really unique technique to help out men. And he uses a laser to sculpt body fat to look like muscle. And the article about a year or so ago in a men's health magazine said... Have six-pack abs without exercising. Guys, does that have your attention now? You're like, ask Donnie about article, right? The wife's like, ask him what what magazine. I'm I'm not going to tell you. You have to come and ask me. But he's got this technique where they use a laser and they reposition that two-liter to look like a six-pack somehow. And they can even, you know, make these muscles in your calves and your thighs and just really look like you're fit when you're really not. And here's a quote from the article. It says, while surgery doesn't increase strength or athletic ability, finally, there's an alternative for the people who don't have time or the self-discipline to exercise or diet yet want to feel better about their bodies. How in the world would make you feel better? I don't know. Maybe it just makes you feel better when people look at you and they see your fat that's been repositioned to look like something that it's not. I don't know. Everybody's got fat in their body and muscle in their body, and this doctor's figured out a way to make the fat appear like 
It's muscle. But it changes nothing on the inside. Article went on to say, while laser surgery and implants don't increase your strength or ability, you can look like they do. And what that says is, it doesn't matter what's on the inside. We're just going to fix up the outside and make it look just right. And we're going we're gonna to fake everybody out. And we're going to make others believe that you're something you're not. We're going to make other people ask, what gym do you go to? How many hours a day do you work out? How did you get those six-pack abs? How did that work? We're going to make it look like something happened that never happened. And spiritually, Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, it's not about fixing up the outside. It's not about just repositioning some things in your life. It's about going deep. It's about having discipline. It's about spending time with me. It's about shaping your life into the life I want you to live. And that starts on the inside. If you really, in life, you really want to have uh, the six-pack abs, you really want to have the muscles, you really want to have the fit V-shaped body, guys, you're only really going to get it by diet and exercise. That is the only way to really get it. If you focus on diet and exercise, you don't have to worry about the six-pack abs. You don't have to worry about, am I fit? Am I in shape? Because that will take care of itself. And in this body of teaching, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you some things to focus on that's going to take care of the inside, and then the outside will take care of itself. Because he was talking to a group of people who were very focused on the externals. He was talking mainly to Jewish people who had the Ten Commandments, and so they decided, well, here are these ten laws, and they made them into something God never intended. And they just thought, well, if we obey these externally, we're going to be okay. Last week, you heard one of our teachers talk about when Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, don't murder, but I tell you, don't even hate anybody, because if you hate somebody, it's the same as murdering somebody. See, he just blasted the whole crowd because they were proud of themselves, because on the outside, maybe they'd never taken a knife and killed someone. They'd never bopped anyone over the head with a club and killed them. But every day, because of what was on the inside, they were killing people left and right. And all of this teaching Jesus is going through, he's saying, it's not about what's on the outside. God wants me to understand that any true change in my life starts on the inside. People do it all the time today. They come to church They cheer, they read their Bible, they look really good on the outside, but on the inside they're a mess. I've talked to person after person who maybe comes here every Sunday morning and they they sit and they they listen and and they take notes, but it never takes root in their life because it's just a Sunday morning thing. It never goes any deeper. Jesus looked at people like that and he said, You clean the outside of the cup and dish. And he used a bowl for an example. He said, you clean the outside, but on the inside, you're full of greed and self-indulgence or whatever. Just fill in the sin. And he's saying, I want you to change from the inside and allow the outside to take care of itself. So the section of scripture I'm going to talk about today, it makes it clear that God wants my heart first. Not just, not my words, he wants my heart first. Because when you get someone's heart first, the actions follow. 
And Jesus is saying, I want your inner motives. That's at the core of any relationship. Husbands and wives, at the core of your relationship should be intrinsically motivated actions in your life because you love the other person. I've, I've only seen my wife a couple of hours since last Wednesday. She went on a field trip with her oldest daughter. She got home for a couple of hours, jumped in the van, goes to the women's retreat. I'll see her for a couple of hours today. Then I head off to Guatemala after the team's already there. I head off to Guatemala tomorrow morning. Now, what if today she gets home just for a few hours and I have some flowers? Oh, honey, I, I haven't seen you since, you know, Tuesday night, actually. I, I, I missed you. I'm going to miss you this next week while I'm gone. And, and so I got you these flowers because it's what husbands are supposed to do. Husbands are supposed to give wives flowers, and I just figured since, you know, we're husband and wife that I ought to do this. I felt very obligated. So here, sweetie. I mean, how would she feel? Ladies, what would you would hit him over the head with the flowers, wouldn't you? She wants flowers or a card or whatever, not because I feel like I have to, but because it's motivated from the inside. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at, and what he's getting ready to say is, I want everything you do to have this deep-down connection to me, to heaven, to the eternal. Not just because you want to do it on the outside, but because you've put me on the inside and the result is on the outside. You do have these behaviors that might be the same behaviors, but the motivation is completely different. See, a six-pack of real muscle on a guy's belly or a two-liter that's been repositioned to look like a six-pack... Looking at it, you can't tell the difference, but they're different because one comes from the inside and one's just sculpted on the outside. So spiritually speaking, where are you today? Where does your motivation come from? Because in a world that says, let's get it all fixed up and get it right on the outside and we'll nip it and tuck it and lift it and color it and all that kind of stuff to make it look right on the outside and buy the right things and go to the right places and in a world that is like that, Jesus says, God wants you to be different. And he says so in this passage in Matthew 6, when he says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, this section of Scripture is not, I'm not talking about money today, but this is what Jesus is using because people get attached to money. And so he's using something that they were struggling with and they were valuing above God. And even though it's not just about money, it's about me valuing things that last. And money is just one of those things that people value over God or over internal things or eternal things. See, Jesus knows when he said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. He knows that my heart follows what I desire. When I desire something internally, he knows that my heart follows that. And he's using this idea of materialism as an example to show how our hearts can be pulled away from God. Now, materialism... You can have materialism at any income level. It's not just wealthy people. It's not just poor people. Materialism is not about what you own. It's about what owns you. And Jesus is just using this example of money and things to say that materialism 
attaches your heart to the wrong things. It's kind of the word picture of when Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your, your heart will also be. It would have meant the same thing had he said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's really connected. So if your treasure is on earth, then it, it tethers my heart to the earth and not to God. When our oldest daughter was about this high, maybe two years old or so, she, you know, she would run around a little bit. So we got one of those kitty leashes. Anybody ever get one of those? And you know, she strapped in and it didn't take long. She didn't have to wear it long. A few jerks on that and she stayed right with us. So <laughs> we'd clip it on. We'd be in a busy airport or somewhere in a mall or something like that. And we're just holding on to her. And she's tethered up to us and she can't let go. She can't get away. We have a little dog, and we take the little dog out for a walk, and we've had this dog for five years, and she's on a lease, and she still doesn't understand this idea that I'm connected to something, and that's why I'm gagging. I don't get it. I mean, five years on the dog, so ah, 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 the whole time we're on, out on a walk, and she's never learned. Some people in their life, they're still tethered up to material things on this earth, and that's what Jesus is trying to say is, don't find your treasure on earth because that's where your heart will be. And it comes with it, the idea of being tethered to something you're not supposed to be tethered to. Now, I don't know what people in the first century had to be materialistic about. I mean, there wasn't much stuff. I mean, there wasn't malls. There's not, you know, suburban subdivisions. There were not car lots. I, I, don't, I, don't, know what, I don't know what they would... I get materialism today, but then looking back, it's like, okay, what, what were they materialistic about? Did a guy save and save and orient his whole life about jumping from a one-hump camel to a two? I mean, is that, what, what, what would they have had? But whatever it was, if they dealt with it then, it should serve as a word of caution today when we have so many other things we can attach our hearts to that can pull us away from the life that God intended. So I read this passage about storing up things on earth, and I'm thinking, okay, we do store up things. Why, why do we do that? Why do I store up things? Well, there's, there's two big reasons. One is comfort, right? I have air conditioning in my car. It's not a necessity, but I, I love it. Yeah, it is. It is a necessity. It is. Anybody ever have a car without it? A few people. For, it was not fun, was it? Oh, my gosh, no air conditioning? Crazy. So now... If it quits working, I'm like, we got to get it fixed. I don't care how much money comes out of savings, we got to get the air conditioner fixed. So we store up things on earth because of comfort. We store up things like, you know, once a year I take my family on a vacation, we go somewhere, it's fun, it's enjoyable, we relax, we get to see something that's out of our ordinary day-to-day lives. So we store up for comfort. We also store up for security. I have a savings account. Anybody else got a savings account and not afraid to tell me? Okay. So we store up money in the bank and got some retirement money and, and it, it feels good. It used to feel good to look at that and, and see that it was increasing and there was more and more money in there and it just, it provides a level of security to know I have savings in the bank. So if something happens, I've got money to pay for it. Doesn't that feel good? So we store up things because of comfort and security. You know, it's kind of like investment. And Jesus is not saying, don't store up things at all. 
What he's trying to contrast here is if you're looking for an investment strategy that never fails, that never goes down, that never tanks in a bad market, that no matter what happens politically, your investment will still be solid. Jesus said, you need to invest in me. You need to store up treasure where it can never go away. Because all that you treasure on earth, all that you save up for, my car's going to wear out. Your car's going to wear This body, it's going to wear out. Something could happen and your savings account would be gone like that. And he's saying, if you're looking for an investment that pays big dividends, invest in me. And don't allow your heart to be tethered to the earth. God wants me to watch my desire because what I desire can capture my heart. And when your heart gets captured by something, there's kind of like no stopping it. You know what I mean? My heart... The first time I can remember my heart really being captured was in 1989. I went to this Halloween party. I was dressed up like a clown. Big, big red uh, wig out to here, nose, white face, the big shoes, the whole works. I was dressed up like a clown, show up at this party, and I meet this blue crayon. And, and the blue hat and all that stuff made her eyes sparkle. And it was Cinda, by the way. I wouldn't be telling the story if it wasn't. It was two years later before I ask her out on a date. I worked kind of slow, but, but that was the night I was like, I like her. I enjoyed looking at her. I mean, I enjoyed being around her and, and she began to, to capture. And at any point in there, if she would have said, sell everything you have, I didn't have anything then, but an old beat up car and some books, I would have sold them. Whatever she would have said, I would have gotten rid of it. And God is saying, that's the way I want to capture your heart. Multiply that many times over, and that's what I want your heart to look like when I capture it. Jesus tells the story about a man who finds a treasure hidden in a field, and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's in the book of Matthew, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he went away and in his joy sold all that he had to buy that field. So this treasure, the kingdom of heaven, when this guy found it, it captivated his heart so intently that nothing else was more important. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate here. He's not just talking about money. He's just using that as an example of something that can, that can tether our hearts to earth. He's saying, treasure me in such a way that you will give up everything. That's what I want. And Jesus is warning us, don't let temporary things capture your heart. God wants me to value the things that he values. And when I value the wrong things, my heart starts to get attached to this world. When I attach value to something, it has the potential to control my life. I have this storage unit that I keep things in. I'm not really a pack rat. My wife would say, yes, I am, but I'm, I don't think I am. But I, I save things, okay? It's not a pack rat, is it? I, I decided years ago when our girls were very small that I was going to keep all their bicycles. And, and, you know, now they're 12 and 14, so there's a few, and they've gone through four or five each, so that's like a bunch of bikes. And they're in this storage unit that's $64 a month that my wife reminds me every time, you know, she writes a check or sees it on the checking account. And there's other stuff in there, too, that I want to keep, like baby beds and stuff like that. But here's what, here's what I see in my mind is I see that 
the little bike that, that Abby or Molly rode as a very little child, I see one day they will, they'll bring their kids home. And old grandpa, me, will be out there in the garage, and grandpa will pull out this bike and say, this was your mother's bike, and yay, grandpa, yay, isn't he wonderful? And I can say, this is the bike that your mommy rode. My wife's like, what if they have boys? I'll paint it blue. It's pink now. I'll paint it. Just let me keep it. And, and recently, she has convinced me, you know, we, we could give these things away. We don't need these. Take a picture these will be so out of date and rusted by the time we have grandchildren, it won't matter. And, and I, it was tough, so I gave one away. And then I gave another away, the big ones, not the little ones yet, and I gave another one away. And it was a little tough, but then, I, you know, the little girl we gave it to, I, you know, I see her smile, so that helps a little bit. And, and then I tell the dad, I'm like, hey, I want that back. I really did. When you're done with that, just let me know I want it back, okay? And so I can store it again. And, but, so what God is saying, because I've attached value, it's sentimental value, but I've attached some value to that. And God is saying, watch out what you attach value to, because it has the potential to control your life. When all of a sudden you think something has value, it can creep into your life in such a way that it controls you. When I value the wrong things, it's really hard to give them up. When I value the right things, it can determine the positive course of action for my life. If you read about our core values at LifePoint, or our big mission statement, helping people connect with God, everything we do, that kind of drives where we go and who we are as a church. It Does this help people connect with God? We ask that question. Every time we think of something new or starting a new location, is this going to help people connect with God, or is it just something we're doing? And if the answer is no, then we don't do it. If it's yes, then we might do it. Or we may not. Maybe you know, we still want to be simple about the whole thing. So our values drive what we do. It's the same thing with individuals. What we value drives what we do and the direction of our life. Jesus goes on to say later on after, after he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Then he says in Matthew 6.22, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep the darkness is. Now, the first time you read this, you might think, wait, how can a light, how can an eye provide light? Your eye receives light. It doesn't provide light. It doesn't light your way. How does does that work? Well, in in this literature, in in biblical literature and, and phraseology, to say, to set your heart on something and to fix your eyes on something, that was synonymous. So when these people heard Jesus say, your eye is the lamp of, the, of your body, they knew. When I set my heart on something, they thought those two things, they thought about them the same way. So when you fix your eyes on something, it can control the very direction of your life. And when my eyes or my heart, when it's tethered to the wrong thing, There will be darkness in my life, according to what Jesus just said. And what's worse, you can think you have light and not have it. You can think you're going in the right direction and focused on the right things that are bringing you comfort, that are bringing you security, but they don't. Have you ever met anybody that thought they had it all together, at least acted like they had it all together, and then watched that something bad happens in their life and then everything comes crumbling down, whether it's the stock market or the job market or the housing market or whatever it is. Something bad happens, a tragedy in their family, and it just all comes crumbling down. And you think, I thought they had it all together. 
Or you hear, oh, did you hear they're getting a divorce? Did you hear their teenager ran away? Did you hear all these things happen to them and it's just like their life comes crumbling down? That's what happens when your heart is tethered to the wrong things. And yet I've seen people go through the same situations in life, whether it was a, a relationship that ended or a job that ended or, or, or money issues, and their heart be tethered to a different place, to eternal things, and they just go on. It's tough. It's hard. They pray. They trust in God. But they get through it because their focus is in a different place. If my focus is just on earthly things and I'm just thinking about the externals and something goes wrong with those externals, it's really hard to recover. But if my focus is on eternal things, if my heart is tethered to God, if that's where I'm motivated from, and those things happen in my life, that's life. Then you know, you know what? It might be tough, but eternity never fails. God never fails. You know, someone can believe they have light in their life and be a great person and think they're doing the right thing with all their heart and still be wrong and do something damaging because their heart is just following what it's been tethered to. That's what Jesus' listeners were dealing with. Their heart was tethered to this earthly law, this external obedience to these commandments and their religion. And Jesus is trying to say, you need to let that go and invest in me. It's just like the guys that get the, the ab surgery to make their fat look like a six-pack, which I don't understand. It's going south anyway. I mean, you can try, but eventually it's going to go away. People who focus on the wrong things in life, they might have an appearance of comfort and security, but it's not comfort and it's not security at all. You might think they have it all together, but they don't. So what do I trust in? Well, God wants me to trust in things that last. Trust in things that last. What are some things that last you can trust in? First one, relationships. Even though relationships end, you know, begin and end, relationships have an eternal significance beyond your lifetime. So investing in someone, investing in relationships, even though that relationship might end, it can still change eternity. So invest in things that last. When I wrote this thought down this week, I thought of an 80-some-year-old guy named Paul and an 80-some-year-old guy named Ernie. Paul and Ernie. They were elders at the church where I came to know Christ when I was in college. And one day, Paul and Ernie called me in, and I thought, you know, I was just into this Jesus thing not even a couple years, and I was like, uh-oh, I mean, is this a big deal? He had called before these old guys that look like they had, at least had the appearance of wisdom because they had white hair and, and, you know, walk bent over like that, so they must be really smart. And so they brought me in, and they start talking to me about my faith, and I'm thinking it's kind of strange, and then they drop this bomb on me and say, hey, we, we would like for you to lead our college ministry at our church. And while you're in graduate school, we would like to pay you to do that. And I was like, am I the only one in the room? Me? You want me to do that? And, and these two old guys invested in me and a relationship that we definitely didn't agree theologically. I don't know if they ever figured that out, but we didn't. And, and, and we definitely didn't agree about methods, but they saw the value 
in investing in someone who is 60-some years younger than them. And they've been gone for a long time. But their investment still lives on. Because every time I invest in somebody, Paul and Ernie, their investment pays off. So they were investing in something that will last. And when people talk about me as an old man, when my grandkids said, yeah, I got this bike from my grandpa, it will be because I invested in someone. So that just continues to go. So invest in relationships. Another thing that lasts you can invest in kind of has two prongs to it. One is family, your physical family. You'll never go wrong investing in your physical family. You're worried about your portfolio and you're trying to invest for that. How about investing time and effort into your family? That will never, never not pay dividends back to you. And then investing in your spiritual family. That's why we all hear saying all the time, get in a small group, get in a small group, get on a service team, get more involved. Because investing in your physical family and your spiritual family will always pay off. God wants me to trust in things that last. He wants me to invest in me. He wants me to invest in in me. He wants you to invest in you. Because when you do that, He will give you the desires of your heart. It says so in the Bible. It says so in the book of Psalm, chapter 37. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, the casual reader would say, great, I get whatever I want. That's not what he's saying. I'll get that whatever. You know, whatever price tag's on, I'll get it because I've I've delighted myself in the Lord. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you delight yourself in me, I will come in. I will change the desires of your heart. I will give them to you. And you will desire things that tethers your heart to heaven and not to this earth. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Invest in things that make a difference, that last. The bottom line of this whole section from Jesus is, God wants me to trust Him with everything. So ask yourself the question, what's my heart? What's, what, what has my heart? What has my desires? What am, I, what am I tethered to? Because it's very easy to come in and stand on the sidelines and say, great job, great job, great job. But eventually, it's got to get beyond the external and get deep down inside where real life change can take place. Where there can be an eternal significance. I already said, I'm going to Guatemala tomorrow morning. And we've been with this mission group about over a year. And there's been like six teams going every time I've been, great job, great job. Glad you got to go to Guatemala and sleep on the ground and eat stuff and, you know, and get sick and all that kind of stuff. Great job. Well, I'd never, I still haven't been. And a couple months ago, I thought, you know what? I get up and I talk about this place and I try to get people to give money towards it and sponsor kids. And I've never been. And I've been to third world countries, but never to this, this spot. And so I thought, you know what, I'm making this excuse that I don't have time, that i got all this stuff to do. I've just got to go. So I decided to just step out. Whatever I don't get to do this week, I just don't get to do because I was standing on the sidelines cheering everybody else on, and I wasn't going. There's something in your life where you're just standing by cheering other people on. and Maybe that's why you're here every Sunday, and you're just saying, hey, great church, I love it, it's great, it's awesome. But sooner or later, you've got to stop standing in the crowd and get into the wheelbarrow. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this section of Scripture where Jesus makes it so clear what he wants us to do. Father, may we leave here today trusting in things that are eternal. 
And God, we confess that it's so easy to let our hearts get tethered to this earth. And may we seize opportunities to connect our hearts to you. And may you convict us when we just try to fix up the outside. Change us, Father, from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.